Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. Ask Mapped episode 117. I'm back. It's been several weeks. I'm excited to be here and be with my friends. Dr. Scott Wright, former director of admissions at UT Southwestern, retired executive director at TMDSAS. How you doing, my friend? Good. How's it going uh, with you, Ryan? It is going. Uh, it is going. I'm excited uh, because Friday we have something fun. But before I talk about yes. that, I will yes. introduce Verinia Granum, <sighs> former assistant dean in the pre-health and STEM advising office at Hofstra University. How are you, Verinia? You're muted. <laughs> oh no your sound does not oh work. my gosh i'm so go. sorry hi everyone hello <laughs> i'm here i'm doing great thank you happy to have you back ryan happy to be here again together to help some students out yes 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 so for all of you here um get ready start asking questions because we're going to start uh, answering them here shortly uh last but certainly not least Rachel Grubbs. I'm like Ryan Gray. Rachel Grubbs, uh, co-founder here at MAPS with lots and lots of years of experience in the MCAT and pre-med process. How are you, my friend? I'm excellent. I'm so excited for MAPTCon on Friday. Yes, let's talk about MAPTCon. So MAPTCon coming on Friday, uh, starting at 1045 Eastern AM Eastern, going till 630 p.m. Eastern. We have representatives from the AAMC, ACOMIS, TMDSAS, Casper. We have a med student panel. We have our lovely faces doing lots of fun things. We have uh, a PA. Uh, we have Savannah Perry from the PA platform joining myself to talk about PA versus MDDO. And if you're on that kind of the line between one or the other, you should definitely come. It is free to register, free to watch and uh, get the replays at mappedcon.com. So go go there, register. We have thousands of students already registered, so don't miss out. And yes, if you cannot make it live, you will get the replay. Mm -hmm. You will get the replay. Mappedcon.com. We'll, we'll be talking about that. Even lots of plugs today for <laughs> MappedCon. Um, we're giving away lots of goodies. We have Blueprint MCAT giving away live online course, giving away lots of exam bundles for their full lengths. We're giving away lots of the pre-med playbook series, book sets. We are giving away lots and lots of stuff. So come, come hang out with us this Friday, yeah. September 16th. And stay tuned for our big announcement for our live MAPTCON next year, live and in-person MAPTCON next year. So let's rock and roll. Who's ready to answer some questions? Yes. Yeah, let's do it. Let's, let's rock and roll. Uh, what is that? Uh, Cam one can. That's too small on my screen. Uh, I graduated two years ago, and I've been I have been getting clinical and non-clinical experiences. My GPA is three point nine eight. Slacker, and, and uh, didn't need a master's. I'm not sure what to say if admissions ask why I didn't get a master's since most do. Says who? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Here's one of those myths out there that's like most people get a master's and so you should get one too. And if you don't get one, you're a weirdo and you're not going to get a med school. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Scott, you want to? <laughs> I see your face is no. just as contorted as mine. <laughs> no, this is not an accurate uh uh, statement at all. Uh, I think it's unusual uh, for students uh, to have a master's degree coming into medical school 
And, uh, you know, some do a special master's program or have done a master's, but I, I think it's the vast majority, a minority of students that do that. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't think that that's accurate. So I don't think that the, the uh, student would need to have to answer a question like that. So Yeah, especially with a 398 GPA. Yeah, right, exactly. They don't need any grade enhancement. No. So if you're going to do a master's, it's going to be something that you're potentially interested, passionate about. A lot of uh, students will go get an MPH because they're interested in public health and integrating right. that into their career. But yeah, or they, or they might or they might do that concurrently with medical school. With medical. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. Nothing to worry about here. Yeah. Nothing to see. Keep moving. <laughs> <Move> on. <laughs> uh, Jacob asks four science classes, three labs and research. Is this too much to try and juggle at once? Verena, it is a very common question coming from undergrad students, especially those who may be a little bit worried about their GPA, their performance with lots of classes. What, what is your typical answer for students like this? Yeah, I mean, Jacob, it, it's, um, it definitely sounds like it's a lot, but you have to, we, we don't have the full picture here. We don't know what else you have going on. We don't know if this is while you're also balancing a part-time job or, you know, clinical experience or volunteer experience, or if you have a family um, on its own, could it be considered a lot potentially? But remember in medical school, this is exactly what you're going to be doing. So this is good preparation for it. Um, I would just take a assess what else you have going on. Is this something that you could potentially, is there anything you can put off if you're still in school right now? Can you put off a, a science class for a later semester. What else are you taking right now with it to balance things out? Uh, if this is all you're taking, if you're just, you know, you do your science classes, your labs and your research, um, maybe there's other things going on in your life that you could potentially um, set aside or, or kind of reduce your hours in, in those areas so you can focus your attention on this. Um, so it really, it depends on what else you have going on on its own. I think you can do it. I think you can do it. It's good preparation, like I said, for med school. Um, just assess, you know, what can kind of be put on hold for a little bit. Yeah. I mean, that, that question alone kind of goes to the fact that everyone is different in this process, mm-hmm. depending on your responsibilities. Are you a parent? Mm-hmm. Are you a spouse? Are you supporting your family with income? Cause you have, you, you're working like lots of, lots of variables that go into just being able to answer the question as best as mm-hmm. possible. And, and it's, it's impossible to answer just on, on the face of it. Mm-hmm. So Justin asks, is if, if I had volunteered hundreds of hours as an EMT during undergrad from 2018 to 2021, would they, quote, expire by the time I apply in 2023? How old is too old to list hours on an application? I'm also still doing volunteering, but it's non-clinical. Ooh. So double question here, Rachel. Are activities ever too old? And sounds like this person maybe batched all their clinical and is maybe not doing clinical now, or maybe they're getting paid clinical and they're volunteering non-clinical. What, what, what are your thoughts when you read this? Yeah. So there's, there's a lot to unpack here. I'd start by saying hours can't be too old unless they're from high school because always read the application, fine print, always check with specific med schools for secondaries. But typically when you're being asked to log activities, the assumption is after high school graduation. So you don't necessarily have to have started college because maybe you took a gap year between high school and college, but after high school graduation are when those, um, those hours start to count for med school activities. And then, then this question of would they expire? Well, no, but it's not a good look if you do clinical and then stop because it does sort of send this message that maybe you didn't enjoy it. You know, if, if, if your dreams come true and you get into med school, um, your whole life's going to be clinical. Um, so, you know, you're doing volunteering. Maybe that's a passion project for you. I don't want to tell you to stop it if it's something you really love. But what I like to see is clinical slow and steady throughout your entire pre-med process up, not just to when you apply, but really to when you plan to matriculate. Um, so, even if it's 
a little bit, right? Maybe you were doing EMT paid and that was really rigorous. And now you only have bandwidth for maybe five or 10 hours of clinical a month, but there might be a volunteer position out there that's clinical that'll work. So uh, I would, I would keep looking. I would definitely, if you're, if you're not applying until next year and not matriculating med school till 2024, I don't want your clinical to be two and a half years old by the time you apply. I don't think that's going to work well for you. Right. Yeah. Recency and consistency. Indeed. Recency mm-hmm. and consistency. It's the rule of INCES. <laughs> That's made up right here, folks. Uh, you were here. <laughs> Ashley asks, January MCAT, is there still hope? Uh, for this current cycle, I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming. Uh, Rachel, I'm going to throw that one back to you, uh, yeah. Miss MCAT expert. Let's let's go under the assumption, and maybe Ashley is, is still watching and can ask. I'm assuming she's in the current cycle. Applications are in, needs to retake the MCAT as, and is retaking it this January. Yeah. Is there still hope in that case? Yes. Your hope is probably better for DO schools than MD. Um, DO schools... Um, do sometimes accept January MCAT scores where MD schools rarely do, maybe even if ever. Um, uh, so, so yeah, I mean, I think you've already put in the time and effort. If you're worried that the MCAT is holding you back from getting in, then it would make sense to retake in anyway. And if you were actually thinking about med school entry 2024, January is what I consider the ideal time. So I, it's to me, I, I always kind of go back to hope for the best, expect the worst. Take it in January, hoping that you can send it to your schools and that you get acceptance for starting summer 2023. But also take it in January so that if you do need to apply for starting med school 2024, you are in excellent shape. The MCAT is behind you. You're not caught with a summer fall retake. And you, you, know, you can just be focusing on the rest of the application all spring. Yeah. So for for clarification purposes here, Scott, what would you say? Who's controlling the camera? That's my job. <laughs> but you were down in the corner. I was, was going to move it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll just sit here and watch. <laughs> Scott's eating his popcorn. <laughs> um, for, for clarification. So, so Scott, for this person, Rachel said, hey, for MD schools, very rarely potentially – if this person is cramming to take the MCAT in January, maybe doesn't even have any DO applications turned in is only applying MD. Would you suggest that, that Ashley go and reach out to all of the schools that, that her application is, is turned into and say, Hey, I'm going to retake it in January. Will you still accept that MCAT score? And, and will I still be considered for this current cycle so that potentially she doesn't stress to cram for a January MCAT when maybe she should take it in March to get the score that she really wants and needs. Yeah. I mean, I think that would be uh, a, a reasonable thing to do. I think some of the schools are going to reply and, and respond to that. Some are, you'll, you won't ever hear from. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think it's going to be a mixed bag. And, and I suspect that just as Rachel has indicated that the vast majority of the schools are going to say, no, we will not accept the January MCAT date. Yeah. My my assumption is a lot of the schools will be like we review applications holistically. <laughs> they're they're <laughs> templated. Yeah, boilerplate. Your response, right? <sighs> yes. Uh, and before we jump to the next question, uh, just a reminder: mappedcon.com. Go there. Let's take that question off. Uh, mappedcon.com. Uh, go sign up for our conference. This. <laughs> whoa! 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 Damn it. This Friday. No touchy. This Friday. This Friday. Uh, Too many shenanigans going on. For free. It's free. For free. Right. Yeah. Very cool. All right. We need that music to dun, 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 dun. <laughs> the circus music. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Our friend Gage asks, I've been fortunate to get an A recently. And for everyone wondering, an A in this uh, in this context means an acceptance, not an A grade. Hypothetically, if I get multiple acceptances, is it possible or should I uh, to try to leverage the fact to gain scholarships? Uh, 
Verinia, the scholarship game. <laughs> so most most schools will say, hey, uh, we review our financial aid and all that stuff. At some point in the process, we'll let you know. Um, is this something students should proactively do to go, hey, like, what are you going to do for me? What you got? I don't know that I would recommend that. <laughs> I think that's kind of a gamble. Um, I think you can... Um, you know, speak to the financial services offices and, and find out what resources are available to you. Um, you know, and, and I know that there have been situations where students have done this. You have to be very careful of the language that you use. Definitely, you know, don't say, what are you going to do for me? <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it is it possible to do that? Yes. I would just caution you to be very careful in how you phrase that. And I don't know, Dr. Gray, maybe you have some suggestions on how you can approach this. Yeah. I, I know, Scott, you and I have talked about this before, and, and you're generally uh, against it. My, mm-hmm. my general thought is you have the acceptance. There, unless you're a complete <laughs> uh, idiot <laughs> with your language, they're probably not going to revoke your acceptance because you asked for a scholarship. Uh, and so just be very tactful. Uh, mm-hmm. And don't, I wouldn't try to play a game. I would right. look at your acceptances right. and I would say, this is the school that I want to go to. Mm-hmm. It is $20,000 more than the school, uh, that, than these other schools that I have acceptances to. And you reach out to the school and say, I want to come to your school. Here are the reasons. Uh, I, I have been accepted to another school that's X number of dollars cheaper. Is there anything you can do to make my decision easier to come to you? And and let it be. And they, they'll say yes, no, maybe so. And, and you'll get your answer. But just be tactful, I think, mm-hmm. is, is the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mariana, hello. I worked at a home health agency as patient care coordinator where I interacted with patients, nurses, and providers to set up the plan of care and want to know if I can list this as clinical. So, Berenia, notice how they didn't say uh, that they didn't interact with patients to like provide care, mm-hmm. but they interacted with patients to set up a plan yeah. of care. Yeah. What does that what look do, like? What is what do that? You think about that? Yeah. Well, what does it mean? Yeah. What does that yeah. mean to set up the plan of care? Um, are you there with the patient and discussing it with the doctor uh, or the nurses, or are you just sort of an, putting into place whatever the doctors and nurses have recommended and just telling the patient, okay, this is your plan of care. Mm. Um, So we would need more information. We need to know more about what exactly you're doing. Patient care coordinator can do many things at a home health agency. That can mean many things, Mm -hmm. Um, but interacted with patients. What does that mean? What does that look like? Yeah. That's what I would go based on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Agreed. So we can't answer that. Yeah. Uh, Amy asks, a recommendation for how to go about putting volunteering when you do a few hours at a lot of different places instead of a ton of hours at a single volunteer organization. Rachel, one of my favorite answers for this is there are no rules when it comes to the uh, the activity section and how to list things. What What is your thought here? Yeah, I mean, it sounds aimed like you're already on the right track because you're talking about kind of the experiences a lot, a few hours at a lot of places. It's okay to collapse activities. Um, you know, for ACOMIS and TMDSAS, activities are unlimited. So if you want, if you did 37 different volunteering experiences, you, you could list that many volunteering things. With AMCAS, you only get 15 spots. So You need to be really strategic. Um, And a lot of it is not just about the activity and the hours, but about the stories you have to tell. And I don't want to be presumptuous, but I'm going to guess that if you only did a few hours, even though you did good work and you contributed, it might not have been that meaningful. So one benefit of collapsing is you're not wasting precious AMCAM space. And then you could say... I worked at a variety of places doing this kind of stuff. You don't even have to list every single one. Um, you can, you know, just kind of do like a summation and then maybe tell one story about one particularly meaningful thing. Um, but yeah, no rules. So, you know, maybe you'll find that when it comes time to pick your AMCAS activities that you end up spreading in over two or three 
because you just have a lot to say about some of the work you did. And it's going to be relative, one, because like Ryan said, there's no rules, but two, because we don't know what your other activities are. So we don't know how, sorry, I've got mowing in the background. Um, <laughs> we don't know how pressed you are for space, right? We don't know how many other activities you need. Yeah. Mephram. Uh, I'm not sure if I need to pursue a master's. I did a post-bac, but I only took about 15 credits since I've taken my prereqs. My GPA trend is very up and down. Scott, the dreaded master's versus more post-bac versus <laughs> let it ride. <laughs> what, what is your general kind of thought process outside of Go create a mapped app account for free. Get a free mapped app pro trial where you can enter all of your grades and then contact one of us uh, through the mapped advising chat right inside of mapped app. Uh, so that's that's first and foremost. So you can get mm -hmm. very specific, detailed answers on on how to think about this. Mm -hmm. So my my big question here uh, for uh, me from is why did you only take 15 credit hours as a post-bac? Uh, I see that you say, since I've taken my prereqs, this is not the point. Uh, okay, you've got your prereqs. Uh, the point of the post-bac that you're doing is apparently to, uh, to show that you can do the work. And so I, I'm wondering why you stopped at 15 credit hours and what has, you know, precipitated this um, process of, of examining whether you should do a master's degree. I would suggest if you're doing post-bac hours, you're at an institution to do post-bac hours, continue doing post-bac hours, upper level biological sciences. Uh, we're not talking about prereqs. We're talking about upper level biological sciences that will show that you can do the science work in a, in a uh, significantly uh, uh, you know, in a, in a strong, strong way. Uh, so, you know, without knowing a little bit more deeply kind of your situation and, and uh, then, then, then that would be my advice is to really understand, um, you know, what the point of the, of your efforts here are. It's not to meet the prereqs. It's to show that you can do the work. And, uh, my, uh, feeling is if you've it's already established a process of doing post-bac work, uh, just continue that. Yeah. So I, I brought up here um, uh, just our mapped app demo account just to show students kind of what I was talking about. When you create a mapped app account, go and enter all of your courses. And this is the the fun stuff that you'll see when when you're playing around. And this will help us and help you better determine, and I'll zoom in here, uh, better determine what the answer is. Uh, so you can see here, I've manipulated the data recently to show uh, kind of an up and down, right? We, we start a little bit midway, and I'm looking very specifically at this green line, which is the semester trend line. The, the student came up and then went right back down. And so for medical school, we want to see that green line, especially if you're kind of a lower GPA, 3.2, 3.3 area, we want that green line to be up as close to 4.0 as possible mm -hmm. for as long as possible, right? Mm -hmm. So for, for me from here, 15 credit hours, we want to see like maybe like 30 or 40 uh, credit hours, mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. as, as many as, as you can um, to try to show medical schools that you're academically capable of doing well there. Yep. So uh, you can go get a, a free trial of MapDap Pro 30 days at mapped.com and then use the promo code or referral code 30 days free for that. I'll throw that up. All right. So we have um, Psalms consultancy. I completely enjoy mapped and have received great advice from Rachel about um, International coursework. I previously worked as a PA in Kenya, Jambo Habariako, uh, and was wondering if I can include this as clinical experience. Heck yeah. Absolutely. Yep, yep. Yeah, especially working as a PA, right? Qualified mm -hmm. here in the States. Mm -hmm. um, potentially not 
licensed in in Kenya, but but typically on uh, volunteer trips and stuff like that, there are usually temporary privileges granted for that kind of stuff. So, mm-hmm. yep, yeah, that's awesome. Cleveland plays Cobb. Call of Duty. Uh, um, are classes taken at community college equal? To, oh, here we go. Equal to classes taken at a university. Meaning, do med schools give preference to students who took all prereqs at prestigious university versus community college? <laughs> so, so let's remove prestigious university. Right, so right. four-year university versus community college. I think, uh, Rachel, this has come up a bunch recently. Um, no, not every school is going to give the same weight to to four-year university versus community college and we think it's a bunch of bs but what are you gonna do you're muted you're muted rachel (laughs) (laughs) read the lips again yeah i gotta get up and shut the window because of the mowers uh okay so i do think it's bs not all med schools feel community colleges are of the caliber of university. You know, there's a lot of reasons behind that that we could argue all day long. I think you can see pros and cons. One thing that I always hear from the students I work with that are at community colleges is, well, I get to have better relationships with my professors because, you know, at Ohio State, for example, which is down the street from me, Gen Chem is a 500-person lecture hall. And at Columbus State, it's an equally qualified professor or adjunct instructor and probably 25 students. So they don't have to go to their TA to ask questions. They go to their professor. They have better relationships for letters of rec, but there is that stigma. Um, So first and foremost, always just check the school because there are schools that actually say community college classes are not accepted for prereqs. And I don't think you necessarily need to know your school list now, but I would say if you need to take community college, do so. And then when it comes time to apply, just be mindful of the fact that some schools are going to explicitly say they aren't accepted, in which case you're probably not going to bother applying to that school. And then there are some schools that are going to say it okay or is okay and then may secretly frown upon it. And I mean, I'm sorry about that. I can't do anything about it. You're never going to know for sure. So I think you just have to ask and act in good faith and kind of take to heart. It's hard, it's hard to process, but if they're that snobbish about people who need more affordable education, then maybe that's not the med school for you anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So can I <laughs> add something to this? You, you may, sir. I don't, I don't think that this is, I, I don't get the sense in my experience that it is snobbery. Um, okay. I, I think fair. that there are reasons why schools do what they do. Mm-hmm. Maybe they have a track record institutionally of difficulty with students coming from community college. I, I don't know. I'm not defending them. I'm just saying that I, do, I don't think it's fair to sort of just say, well, it's because they're, uppity uppity and you know whatever now what that pushback that's that's an important consideration and what i would say here is that um depending you know depending on the community college it would surprise me if a community college offers every prereq for example many medical schools these days require biochemistry Mm -hmm. it is not frequent that a community college in and of itself offers biochemistry in their curriculum that's going to be similar to or equivalent to the biochemistry that you're going to find at a four-year institution. <laughs> not not so, every four-year institution offers it. <laughs> well, you know, uh, d- depending on, yeah. you know, uh, the, the institution. But I would say most universities offer, you know, biochemistry. And so, you know, I, I just think, you know, it's difficult to boil it down to just a uh, just a sort of a, a, yep. a, a bumper sticker kind yep. of yep. Uh, thing. And the key here for for the student, I forget what the, what their name was, but um, the key here is if you transfer to university to continue your education, because most med schools are going to require ninety hours. You're typically not going to have ninety hours or or a degree at a community college, 
when you do transfer to university, you need to do the, the equivalent or similar to the, the uh, performance that you're doing at the community college. If you're making A's at the community college, you need to make A's at the university. If you are making A's at the community college and you get to university and you start starting to make B's and maybe C's, that GPA goes down. That is where there's real concern. Yep. Yeah. Now, one thing that's evolving, and I, again, Scott, I really appreciate that feedback. One, because you've got the perspective of someone who's been sitting in the admissions office, but also um, nothing in admissions is uniform, right? It's right. made of people with varying opinions. Right. Um, there are some community colleges. The example I just used, Columbus State, offers some bachelor's degrees. So, right. You know, exactly. I don't know whether or not they offer biochem or not. I, yeah. I haven't looked at their registrar today. Exactly. <laughs> um, right. But I know you can get 90 hours there. Correct. Um, Correct. So, so there's that. And then, um, I, you know, when I kind of got heated, I was thinking of, and Ryan shared this a couple episodes back, there is a school that we know of that we're not going to name that has on their website public information about all the work they're doing to fight inequity and help um, students from lower income become part of medicine. And then they confirmed in an email that they don't accept community college credits. They, and accept, that feels, they, they think about them less. They think about them less. Yeah. Not that they don't accept them. They yeah. accept them, but then they don't like them as much. Yeah. And that, that is where some of my heat yes. comes from is that feels yeah. very hypocritical to me. Yeah, I agree. Um, I yeah. agree. And my biggest thing is show me the data. Like mm-hmm. for, for you, Scott, I a thousand percent agree. A lot of medical schools hopefully are making decisions based on data that mm-hmm. either Correct. they have mm-hmm. or that is published kind of nationwide mm-hmm. to, mm-hmm. to show what potential best practices are. Uh, and if they have data that shows that students who go from a four-year university to a community college back to a four-year university or whatever that path may look like, they do worse. They require an extra year or two. They have a higher attrition rate compared to everyone else. Publish that data so, mm-hmm. so that as students, mm-hmm. as, as advisors, we can go, here's why we're saying what we're saying, because these schools are showing data that shows that, that these students are struggling. Mm-hmm. And and it is in your best interest, not just you have to do what the med school says, but it's in your best interest right. to prepare yourself for the rigors of medical school to not go to community college. And now we're giving uh-huh. advice based on data and right. not yeah. based on what we assume is just yes. snobbery. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100 percent. Good talk. <laughs> I love it. Health, healthy debate. Sonia asks I've been uh, I've done eight months of paid clinical experience working full time while doing a do-it-yourself post-bac work takes up a lot of time should I quit to fit other extracurriculars like shadowing research and volunteer so here's where we get some language issues right so they're working are they there it's a paid clinical job Mm -hmm. Uh, so volunteer non-clinical potentially Shadowing is definitely important, right? Um, there's, there's not an easy answer here to this, yeah. Bernie, is there? Yeah. No, because if it's, it, first of all, it's a paid position. So I'm assuming that you are relying on it for income. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, do you have the flexibility or the, the ability to quit, quit and still be able to support yourself? Um, you know, there's a lot that goes into that decision. But it's a paid clinical experience position. So you're gaining, you're kind of like, you know, the best case scenario where you're actually gaining clinical experience while getting paid. Um, I don't know that I would say, sure, go ahead and quit. That's a, that's a valuable opportunity. Um, so to fit in other extracurriculars like shadowing, research and volunteer, you know, I we can't tell you what to do, but I would look at it objectively and say, okay, can I afford it? Can I afford to leave this position and continue to still gain clinical experiences um, and also fit in these other things? And is it worth it? Um, the other things like shadowing and volunteering potentially are valuable, but if you're able to work with patients right now, that's even more valuable, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe fit it around whatever free time you can, you know, volunteer a few hours here and there. It doesn't have to be, you know, hundreds of hours every week. A few hours here and there consistently is just as valuable. Yep. 
And, and let me add something to that as well is, is my assumption here, Sonia, is that if you're doing a postback, that there's a reason why you're doing the postback. Mm-hmm. And that is because you, you're, you need to improve your GPA. I'm making an assumption there, but I think it's a pretty, probably reasonable assumption. If that's true, then I think the, the, the academics has got to come A number one. Mm-hmm. A number one. If you're having trouble fitting things in, the academics has to be the A number one thing and that the other things fit in outside of that. Hmm. Yes. Very yeah. true. All right. Which brings me to my uh, next point. Uh, MappedCon.com. This Friday, you should be there. Uh, go register, mappedcon.com. It's free to register. These are lots of fun things that we're giving away that day. Uh, we'll, we'll have a big raffle uh, throughout the day and then at the end of the day. Again, it is free to register. We have representatives from the AMC to talk about preview. We have a rep from Casper, one of the co-creators of Casper, during a, a session together which will be lots of fun. We have uh, an application session with a representative from ACOMIS, TMDSAS, and our own team to talk about uh, AMCAS and all the application services. We have a med student panel. Uh, go to mappedcon.com right there on the screen. Mm-hmm. Christian asks, 19-year-old junior starting virtual shadowing set to take the MCAT in March of 2023. Have non-clinical volunteering, 4.0 GPA, four-year university, thousand, thousand plus hours of research, BS in cellular bi- biochemistry. Delay applying. <laughs> so okay. the delay, my assumption is what Christian led with, 19 years old. Hmm. The MI2 young. Rachel, what, what are your thoughts here? Uh, actually, at a glance, I'm more concerned about your lack of clinical. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Because you're a 19 year old junior, but it's September of 2022. So you're on pace to start med school in July of 2024. Um, it's very normal to start med school when you're um, 21 or 22. Mm-hmm. So even if you're like 20 because you have a summer birthday or something, that that's still normal. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I see is non-clinical volunteering, a ton of research. Hopefully that's because you like research and don't just think it was a supposed to. Virtual shadowing is great, but in real life shadowing is better. Um, mm-hmm. And what you have to keep in mind, and this is maybe why you're saying delay applying, is if you're taking the MCAT in, in March, which is a good time to take it, you're hoping to apply in late May or early June. So clinical experience that you earn after you apply doesn't really carry much weight. Um, You can list it, but clinical should be informing your desire to be a physician. And it's probably going to show up heavily in your personal statement because oftentimes when we talk about why medicine, we're drawing on patient experiences. So I think the big question is you've got stellar grades. You've got what, eight months? Yeah. Four this year and four next year, roughly to get a bunch of clinical experience in, it in real life shadowing, can you do that and still get great grades mm-hmm. and still take the MCAT? I'm looking at this. It looks like, you know, he's a 19 year old junior. He started college during the pandemic, right? He, mm-hmm. So I'm assuming they, they haven't had a chance to get out there and get clinical experience. So I think you're right, Rachel. I think um, virtual shadowing is good, um, but potentially adding more to that now as things are opening up would be, would be better too. Yeah, there's there's lots of time mm-hmm. and lots of opportunities, especially paid. And Rachel, you talk about that a lot. Paid clinical opportunities are still there. Hospitals are still running. Clinics are still running. We need paid. Uh, we need we need workers. So try to go find something. Mm-hmm. Jordan asks first interview invite, and it's open file. I have a low GPA, less than three but a strong recent trend. I'm worried that I'll get judged based on my file and interviewer will make up mine before I even get thoughts. So Jordan, do you have an interview? <laughs> yes. Do they know your GPA? Yes. Are they okay with your GPA? 
enough to assume that you're going to do well enough in that medical school based hopefully on that data that they have that shows uh, who will do well and who will do poorly. Yes, you will be okay. And you may get asked, why'd you struggle? And you just got to talk about it. That's it. Yeah. Sometimes when people are nervous about med school relations, I try to draw on dating examples and I don't want to be flippant, but I'm using dating examples because most of us, well, it could even be platonic. Most of us have had interactions with friends or potential love interests where there was maybe an uneven dynamic. And what I think is like, okay, so that's an experience you have. And if someone you liked asked you out on a date, would you say to yourself, well, I'm not going to go because maybe they don't really like me? Like, man, they just asked you. <laughs> like, Go to the date and see how it unfolds. <laughs> then you'll know whether or not you like each other. <laughs> yeah. So you, you, you got this. Yes. Congratulations. The, the application process is not a giant uh, television show of punk. <laughs> Right. There, there are no hidden cameras going, ha, 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 you really thought we wanted you with less than a 3.0 GPA? Like, th- that's what's going through students' minds. It's, it's not going to happen. The, and, the and interview so invites are. interview spaces, you know? Like, so many people don't get an invite. So you got one of the select spots, man. And early, early in the year. Mm-hmm. Early, 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 definitely. Great job, Peter. I just started UPenn specialized postback program. If I apply in 2023, I won't get a committee letter since I would have taken three eighths of the courses from the program. I'm a Latino, 3.2, 3.3, science GPA, no MCAT yet. So, Peter, uh, our general recommendation is don't apply until you're done with the program. Mm-hmm. Right, Scott? They're, they're obviously taking the program, my assumption is, to, to show that they are academically qualified. And it's a very common thing for students to go, oh, I'm going to apply before they show that they can handle the coursework. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Think? Yeah. I definitely think that, uh, you know, advisable to uh, optimally, you would finish the uh, post program before you apply. Uh, I think applying in the middle of the program doesn't give the medical school a whole lot to go on. You're, you're, ha- you're less than halfway through the program. Um, so, uh, you know, I think that, um, and, and with a GPA in the, in the low, low-ish area, 3-2, three, 3-3, three, three, uh, they're going to want to see, you know, that, uh, that amount of work. And so my, my advice would be to, uh, uh, to wait. Wait, wait, wait. Yes. Um, the committee letter, I don't care. I, I care a little bit yeah, less about, yeah, right? Committee yeah. versus individual letters. Yeah, it's the, the track record of performance right. that medical schools are going to want to see. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people, and, and Scott, maybe you can talk to this. A lot of people put weight into, I'll just send an update, right? I'll, mm-hmm. I'll take the classes. I'm going to finish the classes during the application cycle. I'll send an update. Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that a viable option? Well, some schools don't take updates, number one. Uh, number two, I don't think that an update letter holds the same amount of uh, validity for, uh, for a medical school as, as does the application with, with, you know, everything in the application and stuff. It's also very, um, you know, it, it's possible that uh, update letters, you know, can get, can fall through the cracks. You know, admissions offices are full of humans and they have processes that try to avoid there being cracks and stuff. But, you know, I, I think when, when, when you have thousands of applications, uh, you know, there is a reason uh, why uh, an uh, institution might uh, look at an update letter and say, you know what, we'll, we'll you know, we'll wait on, on this one. Yeah. All right. Jawad asks, 18-year-old junior in college. All right. Let's, let's, let's see who wins here. Um, <laughs> Do I hear 17? Do I hear 17? How about 16? I met I met a 16-year-old uh, last week at, at USF. 16-year-olds, junior yeah. by credit. Uh, wow. um, uh, 110 hours as a scribe, 600 hours as a sitter, currently 3.3 GPA. Don't have shadowing, clinical volunteering, or research. No MCAT, spring 2024, finished college with a BS in bio. So 
There's no question there. What's yeah, the I don't know what the question is. <laughs> don't apply. <laughs> Keep <not> going. <laughs> Work yeah. on your GPA. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. Just wait. What's, what's the question? Yeah, go start a map app. Ask us questions there. <laughs> there you go. Christopher, any tips on group interview with a panel mm-hmm. of interviewers and other candidates? So I was just at University of Florida doing um, an MMI and group interview exercise and doing the keynote there last week. And the biggest piece of advice uh, that I give people during a group interview is uh, don't be the alpha, don't be the sheep. So you don't want to overpower your other, uh, your, your colleagues who are interviewing with you. And you want to, uh, depending on how the question is asked and what the format is, some of the formats are very much like, Tell me why you be why you want to be a doctor. Uh, tell me your strength. And they just go down the line, and it's a very basic, um, standard interview questions. Even though you're in a group, uh, some group interviews are, hey, discuss amongst yourself this situation, and the interviewer wants to see that interaction. So remember that you're talking to the other students. You're not looking at the interviewer and talking. So that's a a big one. Uh, and and use their information, right? I I love improv, kind of. Uh, the flow of improv and everything is yes and. Uh, and so, yes, and let let me uh, add on to what you're saying and, and continue that conversation. Mm-hmm. Any other thoughts amongst the group here? Uh, something I've heard Courtney say multiple times, and uh, uh, Courtney is, isn't here with us today, but you guys may remember she's very recently changed from a director of admissions role at Burrell College of Osteopathic Medicine to working with us, is... Remember that all your interactions are being observed, right? Yeah. So yes, like Ryan said, you're talking to the students, but also if the, gr- the group attends an orientation, if you're walking down the hall and chatting with a med student, if you bump into a maintenance staff member, everybody's feedback is valued. And sometimes I feel like, well, I shouldn't even say that because if you're a jerk to the janitor, I kind of want to know so I cannot invite you to my school. But here's, here's my friendly tip. They're all watching you and they all have a chance to give feedback. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. Nuha. Hi, I am a, in my senior year undergraduate and I just found out that some schools started to require Orgo two, not biochem. Mm-hmm. Should I take it or uh, can I still apply even though I'm missing a course? So Orgo two has been pretty standard, a full year of Orgo. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty standard. And then biochem, uh, is going to be variable. Uh, every school is a little bit different. Uh, you can, you can always, almost always apply without the prereq with the assumption that you will finish the prereqs before you matriculate. So just make sure you fit it in. I don't know how you take the MCAT without having had biochemistry. Mm -hmm. You have to teach yourself biochem. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is kind of a bummer because so many schools require Orgo 2 before biochem. Mm-hmm. And Orgo 2 doesn't show up that much on the exam, but biochem sure does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I, I've known people to prep for the MCAT without biochem. It is possible, but mm-hmm. you're going to have to teach it to yourself, not yeah. just review it. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's not, I don't think it's the preferred way to go. Yeah. yeah. Sydney, if you have completed a master's program with a high GPA, should you be worried about applying to schools with higher GPA averages? And how do schools view this? 3.4, 4.0. So I'm assuming 3.4 is their undergraduate GPA. Uh-huh. 4.0 is their master's GPA. This is always the question, right? Uh, Verenia is, um, if I do a master's program, are they going to ignore my undergraduate GPA? GPA? Should I do yeah. a, an undergraduate postback versus a master's? Um, what What is the answer here? Is there an answer? <laughs> uh, it's hard to say with little information that we can glean from here, but 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 generally, no, they're not going to they're not going to ignore your undergrad GPA. The master's program may enhance your application, but they they still want to see that you can handle the standard pre med prereqs um, that that are required. Um, so yeah, it, it's nice to have the masters and you have the high GPA. Um, I'm a little bit confused about the part about, should I be worried about applying to schools with higher GPA averages? Um, remember it's not, um, 
those scores, those ranges are, it's a median, right? So they have students that are above that cutoff and they have students that are under that cutoff. It's not, mm-hmm. you have to have this minimum GPA. So I think that that might be um, part of the question here too. Um, when you're looking mm-hmm. at that, remember it's a median score. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't disregard the fact that you still need to prove that you can handle the rigor of this work and a master's program may not necessarily do that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's one of the most frustrating parts of this process Mm -hmm. is every school has different policies, different procedures, different ways of viewing GPAs and sorting and filtering and slicing and dicing all of that data. And there's, there's no one answer to give you. Um, Mm -hmm. You have done what you can do, Sydney. Um, uh, you did a master's program. Now the question is, what was the master's program? Was mm-hmm. it an SMP where your first year or your SMP is basically the first year of med school? Was it a master's in public health? In which case it doesn't help at all. Uh, mm-hmm. So th- there are other questions to be answered, but ultimately the answer is it's going to depend on the school and you just need to apply to the schools that you want to go to mm-hmm. and hope that some of them are going to like your master's GPA and go, yep, not a problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Elliot, I am overwhelmed and want to drop a course. However, I'm worried of the current four W's on my transcript. I want to save my GPA, but I am so overwhelmed due to the course load while working full time. Scott, take the GPA hits or get the withdrawal and worry about explaining that later. Well, it's unfortunate that you're in this situation, uh, Elliot. And, and I, 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 um, I'm sympathetic uh, to you know where you are, and, and I certainly um, don't you know I, I don't uh, I don't know that there's an easy answer to this. The problem with the W's is that um, it's going to uh, be a, a question about uh, your ability. It'll be two questions, I think. One is about your ability to handle the coursework. The, the, the bigger question in my mind is, is, a, is a judgment question. So you got four W's. Now, you don't indicate why the other W's, why you did those. Mm-hmm. But if, you know, my question, my, my, the, the reason I'm questioning this, and, 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 and particularly with regard to uh, it being a judgment issue, is did you not learn from the other four W events that mm-hmm. this is a process and, and, you know, are you not being able to sort of recognize and reflect on why do I have these other W's? So maybe I don't initially sign up for all these courses and work full time and expect that I'm going to be able to do it when in the past it, it wasn't possible. Einstein's definition of insanity. Correct. You keep That's hoping correct. and praying something will be different, but nothing changes. Now that doesn't that doesn't address what you do now that you're in the situation, and yeah. uh, there's not an easy answer here. You know, optimally, uh, you would stay in the class and 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 you know trudge through it and 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 be able to be able to do it. I'm wondering if if it's at all possible that you back off on work. Uh, maybe you go to three quarter time, or maybe you go to half time with your employer. Uh, maybe you take, you know, a leave of absence from your from your employer uh, to catch up, and so that you're not overwhelmed. If that's not possible, uh, then uh, you know, as I said, optimally, I, I do think that the W's are going to be a problem. Uh, schools are going to pay attention to that, and when there's a track record of W's, it can be a it can be a red flag. Yeah. <sighs> I'm sorry, Elliot, but that's that, that's a tough that's a tough pill to swallow. Hmm. Yep. How bad is it to apply in September? Asks Mary. <laughs> uh, your chances of of getting in are zero if you don't apply, and greater than zero if you do. Correct. Um, it's not it's not great. It also depends on MD or or DO, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of Correct. DO schools will will go a little bit slower and and will give a September applicant uh, lots of of mm-hmm. uh, look. So, mm-hmm. yeah. and you know, if you apply to the Caribbean, you can go to school in January. <laughs> Not that yes. that's optimal. Don't don't take that as. Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying they have Not a lot ideal. Of, you know, yeah. Not <laughs> ideal. Yeah. Not ideal. Yes. 
<laughs> All right. One more, maybe. Christian, in your opinion, how much does URM, ORM, so first of all, there's no such thing as ORM. There is URM definition. Impact the chances of acceptance from talking with some upperclassmen pre-meds on campus. Some say it matters a lot. Some say it doesn't matter. So uh, let's do a little history lesson. Uh, our, our good friend, Sonny, loves talking about ORM versus URM. Uh, URM was defined by... Um, was it uh, three th- ten thousand by three three thousand two thousand? There was some I forget the numbers. Uh, there was a big study put on by the AAMC um, that looked at kind of the data and underrepresented students in medicine. They defined underrepresented at that time as a specific set of people. Nowadays, URM doesn't really have a set definition, and it's set by schools of what is their population, who are they serving. Mm-hmm. What does their student population look like and what diversity do they need? And hopefully schools are doing that year in and year out, constantly looking at how to improve diversity of their schools because the data shows that the more diverse your class is, the better the, the class is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the definition of URM. Now, white people like to go, well, if, if there are URMs, then I must be an ORM and that's bad and I'm being, uh, I'm being um, uh, maligned, whatever the word I'm trying to think of, discriminated against. Um, it's not a thing. It just looks like you're complaining. So don't, don't use ORM. Uh, URM, definitely a thing. How does it impact uh, applications? Depends on the school, as always. Uh, if, if you are uh, a specific uh, underrepresented minority based on kind of broad definitions in the country and you're applying to a school that actually has a lot of that, uh, that population of student, then you're probably not going to be considered URM in, at, at that school. So it's just going to depend. Now, uh, yeah, that, that's the answer. And so... From a from a question standpoint, you are who you are. You really can't change it, so you can't you can't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. Do the best you can. Apply and know that everyone getting into medical school is getting in because they deserve to be in, not because of the status of URM. So, and let me give a, a before we before we end uh, back to that question, please. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I, I just want to, as an aside, say, um, Christian. Do not listen to upperclassmen. <laughs> uh, you say some say it matters a lot. Some say it doesn't matter. My question is, how do they know? What, yeah. what, what, what crystal ball do, do, do these upperclassmen have to be able to even address this, this question? Mm-hmm. Um, if, they've got a, you know, if they've got some inside knowledge, boy, I'd sure like to hear it. Yep. Uh, because, uh, you know, so you know, take with a, a huge grain of salt what you hear from other pre-med students. Yeah. And actually that's not just regarding this URM ORM, right? right, I mean, I see it all the time. The other day in our pre-med hangout, somebody posted something. I don't remember exactly. And I don't mean to call it this person because it happens all the time, but the question essentially went, I already looked at the MSAR and saw their median MCAT and 10th and 90th percentile, but I want your opinions what scores did you guys get to get into the school? And I thought, what? like, surely you've taken statistics. Surely you understand that your random sample size of who saw your post is not going to be as good as the third-party verified data that the med school submitted to the AAMC. Like, what? I mean, let's, let's go with facts and statistics and not anecdotes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but... We love confirmation bias. Absolutely. And so if we can find one person that got in with the same GPA as I did, that's going to give me warm and fuzzy feelings. And Mm -hmm. I understand it, but that data is trash. (laughs) (laughs) So um, one last plug for MappedCon coming to you uh, this Friday. You should be there. Uh, MappedCon.com. We have... Lots of sessions, lots of speakers. Again, uh, AAMC, uh, ACOMIS, TMDSAS. We have a panel of med students from every year, first, second, third, fourth year, including a DO student. We're giving away lots of fun stuff. So uh, mappedcon.com. And yes, if you can't make it live, 
which it will be live from 1045 to 630 p.m. Eastern on Friday. Uh, if you can't make it live, you can get the replay. Just go register so you get all of those links. And with that, uh, Rachel, Scott, Verinia, my favorite time of the week. Thank you so much for hanging out, answering questions, good discussions. And we will see you all on a Friday. Bye-bye. Mic drop. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.